Hello, my lovely ones, and welcome to Mumming with Magli, the podcast for any mum who has absolutely no idea what the fuck she's doing. I'm Magli, your host, and I can confirm I have no idea what I'm doing. Join me every week as I try and tackle this parenting business, the ups and downs, and the many trials and tribulations. Other moms will also join us and share their story. Let's open up the conversation around the hardships of motherhood and all the pressure that comes with it. Hopefully, it'll make us all feel less alone in feeling lost and completely winging it. I know I am. Enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hi, guys. Welcome back onto the podcast. I have my lovely friend Holly here with me today. Holly, hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) We've been sat here in my bedroom awkwardly (laughs) deciding how to start the episode because it is weird. Like, this time listening. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like I can talk for England, but um, it just feels a little bit unnatural. <laughs> yeah, to know that someone's listening. Yeah. Yet no one's listening. Yeah. You're just talking to a phone. <laughs> Guys, please listen. <laughs> oh, Holly is a student midwife, and today we're going to be discussing everything sort of around pregnancy, around birth, and hopefully you'll put us at ease about some of the issues because I think scary. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of women feel like some subjects are such a taboo subject. Some women mm. feel embarrassed to ask questions. Yeah, when you invited me on the podcast very kindly, I just want to be able to answer any questions that people might have. So hopefully within the things that I talk about that can answer some people's questions yeah. or like things that they're not sure how to ask or I can just kind of give people an overview on what we do. What made you want to become a midwife? It's difficult, really. I mean, I started studying midwifery in COVID because I had a job where I was um, an office manager. And the biggest thing for me that I loved in my job was helping people, like Mm -hmm. customer service. Like I just got a bit of a kick out of making people happy and like solving problems for people. But when COVID happened, I got made redundant. I was 25, I think. And I kind of sat back and thought, right, what do I actually want to do with my life? Mm. And I've always had a passion for women mainly um, and helping women. And I've always had, like, my cousin's a midwife and I've always just been in awe in the fact that what she does is absolutely unbelievable, especially during COVID when I was, like, seeing things that she was doing and, like, they were just troopered on. And I just wanted to... I was just inspired, to be honest, through Mm. COVID, really, watching everyone go through it, even though it was such a difficult time. I was just, like, in awe of all these people helping people in such a crisis. Mm -hmm. Like, it was crazy. But yeah, I just feel like I wanted to help people and I wanted to help women specifically. And then I thought, well, I'm just, I've always been interested in people who are pregnant, just asking them questions mm-hmm. like, how's your scans going? Like, not that I'd know anything about it, but I was just always really interested to hear about people and their pregnancies and like their babies and how they're getting on. So I just thought, why not? Why not give it a go? Yeah. And here I am, two years deep. <laughs> Do you, so to set the scene, you haven't got kids? No. Do you feel like it has changed your view on pregnancy and birth? I mean, I don't know what your view was before and what your view is now. Um, has it made you feel more prepared or maybe a bit more aware, actually, of all the situations that could occur? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it makes me more excited okay. um, in lots of ways because obviously I get to be there in such an uh, amazing time in 
parents' lives, like bringing their firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn into the world. And it just makes me feel like every time I do that, I'm like, I can't wait for it to be me Mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. However, I do feel like when it is me, because that is the plan, (laughs) I think because I know a lot more, I'm a lot more exposed to risks and I feel like I'm a little bit more nervous maybe just because I do know complications and I do feel like, I don't know, it's difficult because I've seen lots of things happen. I know a lot of risks. I know that some things don't always go to plan and I feel like because I know the risks of certain things, it'll be in my head and I feel like I will be quite a difficult person to look after. (laughs) Is there anything in particular that comes to mind? that you've experienced as a midwife that in your head you're thinking, oh gosh, mm. or, or perhaps a really common yeah. um, that maybe women aren't aware of that they should be aware yeah. of? I think obviously sickness is a big one. Um, I as Like a, morning sickness? Yeah, so there's there's sickness within pregnancy and then there's something called hyperemesis gravidarum. Oh yeah, HG. Is, yeah, <laughs> that is severe, severe sickness. So hyperemesis gravidarum is something where your sickness is so strong and it's so constant that you are just completely dehydrated and you just can't keep anything down. You're exhausted um, and yeah, your body just can't can't function, can't keep anything down. And a lot of the time you are put in hospital for it, like you're admitted to hospital. Do we know why some women have that now? No, it's really strange, actually. There was a study done um, to see whether it was due to the sex of the baby, because a lot of the time there's a myth that if you're carrying a girl, you're more likely to be sick. Mm-hmm. But it's not actually evidence yeah. to say that you will have sickness if you're carrying a girl. Okay, There's lots of myths like that. Like if you're carrying this way, it's yeah, a girl. Yeah, yeah. If you're carrying that way, it's a boy. There's lots of things like that. But Are any of them true? No, I think, again, like, listening to heartbeats and stuff, they're like, oh, it's a really strong heartbeat, that's got to be a boy, not necessarily. Yeah, and I feel like you probably could make anything true. Exactly. If you listen to enough heartbeats a certain way, and then, like, they came out as boy, you could say, like, oh, that obviously means that that heartbeat means boy, yeah. Yeah, so, from a midwife's point of view, it's not, you can't tell. If they don't know, you you can't Mm. tell, unless you're, like, going into scans with Mm. them, etc., which I have done with Mm -hmm. women before. But, yeah, you, you wouldn't know, like, myths and stuff like that. It's just not something that is a thing. I think it's just old wives' tales, you know, they just yeah. come out over the years. Other things in pregnancy, I think... Or birth, birth I was just about to say. Yeah. Birth, as much as I've delivered 13 babies now. Woo! Um, <laughs> we had our first home birth the other day, didn't we? We did have our first home birth. Not only our first home birth, but our first water birth at home. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, it was absolutely phenomenal. Like, I bet. what an experience. I bet. And it was just so amazing to have that particular lady because her first birth was quite traumatic for her Mm -hmm. Um, it was in the middle of covid and she had to have forceps so she ended up in theater and she was just absolutely petrified of going back into the hospital so to be able to facilitate a birth at home for her had you seen her for her first baby no like were you involved in that birth no 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 because so her baby so her little girl is three so okay um, you weren't yeah I wasn't quite studying then but um, it was just phenomenal and she as soon as that baby came she was like I can't believe I've done it I was like you better believe it look at you like you've smashed it it's amazing what the body can do it's just it gives me goosebumps thinking about it like how amazing she was like she just did so amazing she you know the mind she was like, I'm not going into hospital, I'm not doing it. And yeah. she just, it's so strong. Like the Mindset, brain. yeah, mindset is such a game changer in birth. And I know that that's 
I feel bad saying that because personally, I had quite a good birth. It wasn't without its complications. You know, I had a postpartum hemorrhage. Um, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But overall, I had a very lovely birth experience. So I feel it's so easy when you've had a good birth experience. It's so easy to be like, mindset is everything. Fuck <laughs> off. You know, when you've been cut open and, you know, it absolutely hasn't gone the way that you'd hoped it would go. But mindset does make uh, a huge difference. I think so birth in itself as much as like I said I have delivered 13 babies now it's still terrifying Mm. um because as a midwife you just want to advocate for that woman you just want to give her the best thing that she wants and you want to make sure that she's comfortable but at the same time you go by what she's saying so Mm. like you can't tell you can't say what how she's feeling because she can only tell you that Mm -hmm. Uh, some women are much more but they're sort of in control of their body they've Mm -hmm. kind of done a little bit more channeling like maybe done hypnobirthing so when they come into labor and they come into you know a laboring room and I'm there they're much more like using their breath and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which I think is is amazing Mm -hmm. like but then you do get cases where women are caught off guard going into labor and they haven't had that you know maybe experience of preparing for birth if such I do think at the risk of sounding a little bit woo woo I genuinely believe that my meditation practice my hypnobirthing exercises my breath work absolutely got me through my birth because I feel like all I could do was just breathe just breathe just close my eyes and focus on my breath and Again, I feel bad saying that because I know that it's not that easy for everyone. And sometimes the body, something happens to the body and there's complications, blah, blah, blah. But aside from, you know, complications in terms of just, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but in terms of just kind of, I guess, managing pain, for me, oh my gosh, I don't know what I would have Do you feel done. like you, because you are just focusing yourself on, on the breathing rather than on the pain? Or is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, and just instead of thinking about how painful it was, like, I just feel like there was no external noise. You know, I don't even think I realized where I was really half the time. I was just in the zone. I was just breathing and kind of, I remember counting my breaths. You know how, actually something I want to ask you is about contractions. You know, they're like, oh, when your contractions are so-and-so apart, blah, 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 this is when you should come in. I, I don't even remember that. I can tell you, however, how many inhales and exhales one contraction would last me. Wow, that's amazing. Because I knew in my head it was five inhales, six exhales. Okay. So like I started with an exhale and in my head just counting through them, I was like, okay, I just need one more inhale, one more exhale, one more inhale, one more exhale. And then all I had to do was get through that sort of breath sequence, so to speak, and then I'd be done. Yeah, it's amazing what breathing can do. And I feel like it sounds really wanky, but oh, it's so powerful. If you can get in control of your thoughts and your mind, Mm. it is something... I've seen the difference in women and how if they channel themselves Mm -hmm. to... Like, I'm always saying to women in labour, you've got this, you're in control, Mm -hmm. you're in control of this. And you see them kind of change. They're like well yeah I am in control and Mm. then they start to for lack of a better word manage it better because Mm -hmm. it's their mind Mm -hmm. telling them because it's overwhelming as you Mm. as you know you know as you know I can only imagine um it's overwhelming situation it's incredibly like vulnerable time as well so a lot of women just kind of go into a state of panic and I completely get that but then you just got to bring them back round and say you are in control of this this is completely this is you yeah and are you hypnobirth trained 
I'm not, but I would like to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so interested in hypnobirthing. I'm actually thinking about doing it for my dissertation. Um, yeah. I did a research proposal on it for my access course, mm -hmm. and I loved it. And I'm just super interested about the mind and things like that. I do think sometimes, like, don't get me wrong, there are medical complications and things like that, but a lot of the time it is mind over matter, and you can do it. You can do this. You it's know? such a fine line, Absolutely. isn't it? From your point of view, where is that line? And I know that it's not an exact mm. line. It's not black and white. But for women who... I don't know. It's so difficult because I so agree that it's mind over matter, but then sometimes mother nature is cruel. 100%. You know, something happens to the body, there's complications. I guess that's what hypnobirthing is about, though, to be fair. It's not necessarily about breathing your baby out with no... <laughs> but it's so true. With, with no, like, medical interventions, it's about your mindset during birth, regardless of what happens. Yeah. So there's always this thing about, have you got a birth plan? Mm. Have you got this? And personally, my view on a birth plan is great. It's it's good to have boundaries and, you know, things that you do and don't want. But I always try and say to the women, try and be open-minded. Mm. Especially for those mums that have never done this before, mm. you know. I, I try and say, look, you don't know what you're going to want. You've not done this before. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely fine. And if you think, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do my birth plan, then you just say mm. But I think being open-minded to things not quite going the way you want. I try and just make sure that my women are happy with their decision and happy that, you know, some things don't always go to plan. But they need to be... I want them to be happy with the choice that they make, obviously, because there is always a choice. Mm -hmm. Nine times out of ten, unless it's an absolute emergency, you've got a choice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I like to make sure that the risks are laid out really clearly to say, you know, this is why we're thinking about doing this. But if you don't want to do it, that's absolutely fine. We can continue, but you just need to know mm -hmm. the risks associated with that. Some women can find that quite negative, but to have the end goal for, for my women is to feel happy with their decision yeah. and to have, give them time to make an informed choice and decision on what we're doing and what they're doing with their body. Because at the end of the day, that's their body. And I wouldn't want a woman to feel like I'm pushing her into, I don't know, having a natural birth when she really wants a section. Yeah, she really yeah, wants yeah. an elective section for certain reasons and things like that. I was just about to ask you, I was thinking to myself, do you find it difficult to put aside maybe your own opinions and beliefs? So I find that it's interesting because I remember now the situation that happened in college with um, a couple of the students and I was one of the only ones that wasn't a mum and I had comments thrown at me saying, how are you going to be a midwife if you're not a mum? Mm. and funnily enough two of the midwives that I know my cousin and Hannah mm -hmm. are not parents and they are phenomenal midwives so it's funny because to be fair to the students making those comments admittedly I was one of those people in my head I had thought I want someone the person advocating for me I want them to really understand what I'm going through 100%. do you know what I mean I understand, yeah. but goes to show because I think Hannah's I mean literally couldn't have done it without her yeah, she's phenomenal. Yeah, and I, for me, I think that I've been in rooms with other students. So as a student, you witness births as well mm -hmm. as you deliver. So like you have to witness five births. And I've been in rooms where women are in the second stage of labour, so they're pushing. Mm -hmm. And you've got students in there saying, or other midwives saying, when it was me, when it was, it's not about you. Mm. So I don't have that. See, mm. that's only them that I can support. I don't go in there with any of my own experiences, no. But 
I'm there for you and your experience. Yeah. So your experience is different to everybody else's and I'm there to support your own individual experience. Not to say, well, I did this and it worked for me. Because yeah. it may not work for the other exactly. person. So it's irrelevant if it, happened, if it worked for you. It's irrelevant what happened in your birth, actually. Yeah. What matters is that woman and what, what's best for her. Not what happened to you. Not what happened you know, to your friend. Not what yeah. happened to that midwife. Not what happened to the room next door. What's happening to this woman? And I think I just feel like I can give a different level of care because I haven't got my own experience. So I just base it on that individual care. Yeah. As much as I've not been through it. How do you find then the balance in between them looking to you as the medical professional for the answer, but then you looking to them because it's their body and you want them to tell you what it is that they feel they need? Where's the line then in that? So if someone says to me, you know, what do you think? It's difficult because... I can only give you advice. I'm not going to tell mm. you what to do. I can't. It's just your body. I'll mm. tell you the evidence and I can give you um, information. I can't tell you what I would do because I'm not, I'm not in your position. That's not my body. I'm not, I'm not you. Mm-hmm. So I try and make it really clear to women that it's your decision. And I, that's exactly why I just want them to be happy with the decision that they're making and have an informed choice. So I want to give them as much information as I can as a medical professional to be so that they can go away and go okay so I've got all this information this is my body now what do I want to do Mm -hmm. because I can't make a decision for them I can't um I'm interested in your opinion both as a woman and as a medical professional and that maybe it's it changes depending on sort of what identity you're (laughs) honing in on your opinion on inductions so inductions it's difficult because and midwives don't make a decision on an induction. It's Who does? Obstetric doctors. So generally, we won't say you're going to be induced. It's generally a doctor that will make that decision. Okay, based on? So, for example, if you're having um, reduced fetal movement. Yeah. If you've got high blood pressure for preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. If you are diabetic and gestational diabetic and it's not controlled very well. Yeah. Or, you know, baby is large for gestational age Mm -hmm. so larger than we would expect Mm -hmm. smaller than we would expect so all these things that doctors look at what about being highly overdue and what would make a doctor make the decision on an induction versus a c-section so i think the section the c-section would be usually what happens is they say you can either have an induction on or come in for an elective section now that doesn't say that you can go for the induction and still have a vaginal birth what's an elective section so you're choosing the section okay it's not an emergency it's not an emergency yes yeah, okay. yeah, sorry it's not an emergency so you're selecting mm-hmm. electing if mm-hmm. you like a section mm-hmm. rather than going through the induction process because the induction process can take up to five days mm. and it is medicalized obviously which has its own risks um so it all really does depend on your choice as a woman so depending on the severity if there's something like baby's heart rate is dropping that would be an emergency section yeah yeah so there wouldn't be a lot of time to do an induction just because we would want to make sure that everything like the outcome was the best Mm -hmm. for the mum and the baby so a section would be the safest option for both mum and baby induction is offered to women post dates we call it so post dates means over term so like mm-hmm. usually it's they can go up to 40 plus 12 mm-hmm. and I don't know why they do it like that because actually that's 41 like 41 weeks and 
five days. So mm-hmm. like, I don't know why they don't just say 41 plus five, but yeah. so it's 40 plus 12 days is they allow that depending on low risk pregnancies, mm-hmm. high risk pregnancies, obviously if you're high risk. So I've got a friend at the moment, she's um, gestational diabetic and she actually has a baby on board that has two holes in his heart. Sorry, baby on board means she's pregnant with this baby. Yes, okay. <laughs> baby on board <laughs> just on the back of her <laughs> toot, toot. So, um, that's so funny yeah is that is that is that a medical term <laughs> absolutely not right. just, what, just a holly blue. term yeah, yeah just came out <laughs> bear me on board um so yeah she's got a baby with two holes in his heart she's gestational diabetic do we know why things like that happen funnily enough not funnily enough but um surprisingly or coincidentally i don't know the term mm-hmm. the right word her son, who she's got, her son. On land. <laughs> her son, who is on land. No. Um, on board. Like her son, child. her four-year-old, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was <laughs> born with a hole in his heart. But it was undiagnosed. They didn't know mm. until like three weeks. And he got really, really poorly um, and actually went to have heart surgery because he was started to get really, really poorly. I think it was he was two, three weeks old. They don't know whether it might be something in her body, like functioning of the placenta that mm. doesn't form hearts and things mm-hmm. like that properly. Like obviously when the baby's developing, they don't know if it's coincidence that her son has had a hole in his heart and now this baby's got a hole mm-hmm. or whether it literally is just a condition a that maybe yeah. she's, yeah. yeah, they don't know. So she was then diagnosed with gestational diabetes, but it was originally diet controlled. So she would go see the diabetic midwife and that she would do blood sugar, her blood sugar levels twice a day. And it then turned out that she wasn't controlling it. She was controlling her diet, but the the blood sugar levels were just out of control. Mm -hmm. So um, she then had to be on insulin. So then she was injecting herself with insulin and it still then wasn't great. So now they have decided because of the baby with the heart plus the gestational diabetes to induce her two weeks early. So there's things like that. There's always a plan. It's not necessarily like, you, and you don't have to be induced. And just out of curiosity, was she given the option of an elective section? Yeah, I think the consultant said you can either opt for an elective section at 39 weeks yeah. or we can induce you to start the induction yeah. process at 39 weeks yeah it's I mean it's maternal choice it's completely I think women just a lot of women are absolutely petrified of a cesarean other women are completely for a cesarean because that they can plan it they yeah know, I am um, personally and I'd like to really really you know just confirm that this is my personal thing what I'm terrified of more than a c-section is being induced because for me it goes completely against the natural body whereas a c-section it's like having a surgery do you know what I mean I just don't feel like it goes against the natural you know release of hormones in the body things like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I'm hoping to be in a position to never have to get induced and I know that's for some women they're very happy and they have a positive experience I'm personally it's hard hard. I just it's not for me yeah it's it is a really challenging time for women that are being induced because as well a lot of women feel like a lot of women feel like even with sections to be fair that their body's not done what it's meant to do Mm. and a lot of women it's funny I don't have that with the I do have that with the c-section a little bit I think I would feel like that with the c-section if 
it, it was my last option. As in, for example, if with Isla, my body hadn't naturally gone into labor, I would have been so against induction that I would have preferred to go for a C-section. Mm-hmm. And I think in that sense, yeah, I would have felt a little bit upset and felt like my body didn't do what it was meant to do. But I don't know, a C-section, I think also because at one point before my before I did go into labor, I went into hospital because I had reduced fetal movement and stuff. And they were like, we might have to do an emergency C-section. So in my head, I'd also prepared myself for that sure, a little yeah. bit mentally. But, um, oh, the induction. Correct me if I'm wrong, um, because, you know, some of the listeners may not know this, but the reason that it's, what did you say it was? 40 plus 12? Mm. Um, that's because the placenta starts to... There's evidence to suggest that the placenta doesn't live as, like, past that. I mean, it will, but it doesn't function as well past those weeks. Okay. Again women have I mean the lady that I delivered yes the other day at home mm-hmm. was 41 plus 5 so yeah. she was 12 days yeah, yeah, yeah. over and yeah. she was at home like you know it's evidence-based but yeah. the evidence is where do you know what um, I mean like yeah, I mean every I was... woman's different every baby's different every body every placenta is completely different so yeah. You could have a placenta that stops functioning at 20 weeks. Mm. And that happens, which is devastating. What's that called? Like, as in the condition, is there a name for the condition? No, it just just stops stops functioning, which means then your baby isn't getting anything. So therefore, your baby wouldn't survive. Oh, so it's a stillbirth. Yeah, so like, like it's called, basically, it's placental dysfunction. And it's not a condition as such, but it happens. And that's a a lot of the reasons why there are stillbirths and it's absolutely devastating you know we've had cases recently um where we've had ladies who are term like 39 weeks and low risk pregnancy came in to the antenatal appointment listened in with a doppler to listen to baby's heart and for whatever reason there's just no heartbeat and then Mm. they've gone for a post-mortem and they found out it's placenta function oh my god so it's it's devastating so the placenta is a is a massive it doesn't work the same for everybody is what Mm -hmm. i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. so it could last 50 weeks Mm. it might not it it, it's so pregnancy is so individual yeah is there a way to choose your midwife because hearing you talk now in my head if I was listening I'd be like right I want Holly as my midwife (laughs) but you can't right you can't choose your midwife is there a way because I think also the problem is something I really struggled and we were in such a lucky position obviously with Hannah she was basically like my private midwife Um, And I think it's really difficult. It's such a personal experience and such an emotional experience for a woman, the pregnancy, but then especially labor and birth. And I think I would be really gutted if I got like some old school midwife. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you find working with midwives that, um, I don't know, what is that? What are the differences between, you know, how, because things aren't the same. Back in the day, it was like, for example, breast is best. Whereas now I feel like it's not like that anymore. Um, I don't know if you have any other examples. That's the first one that came to me. But how do you find navigating those differences in opinions or beliefs? Or are they actually now changing their mind because studies show or are they kind of ignoring it because they're so set in their ways? I think a lot of old school midwives now don't ask women for consent for things. So like mm. they naturally go to breast. Naturally they go. They don't even ask them. ask the woman. 
for the birthing person. They just don't, which I've witnessed before. And I've said, sorry, but are you, do you want to breastfeed? And she's gone, yeah, I do. And that's fine. But the old school midwife has just naturally gone on the breast, mm. like put, trying to put the baby on the breast when actually we're teaching women to do it themselves now. Mm. If they want to breastfeed, that is something I have a conversation with them when they've come in. I say, how are you planning on feeding the baby? Just yeah. so that we know, like when the baby's here, I'm not going like, what we doing, what we feed it, you know, yeah. like... What if the woman does want to breastfeed, but for whatever reason, maybe she's had a complication? So, for example, I'm going to use myself as an example. I admittedly, I'm pro bottle. I'm not against breastfeeding in the slightest, just to confirm. But I knew that it. I wasn't really fussed. Um, mm -hmm. I think I breastfed for like two days. Like, got the colostrum out, and then, nah, not for me. Fair enough. For a myriad of different reasons, which, you know, mm -hmm. are personal to me and irrelevant. Anyway, um, but if I had decided to breastfeed, I wasn't in a position to feed because... I had an episiotomy, mm -hmm. and so I was getting stitched up. I had a hemorrhage, so they were just sorting me out. What do you do? Like, if the woman is really adamant adamant on breastfeeding, but she's not in a position to physically breastfeed. I think the, for now, the research is as long as that baby's skin-to-skin -skin with someone, okay. not necessarily feeding. So you're, if say you're – I've had a lady before in theatre, so she's had – an elective section. You can have skin to skin in theatre still. However, Interesting. How does that work? So when you, we obviously ask them what their wishes are, that you can still have delayed cord clamping in theatre. You can still, you can have it as, as normalised, as normalised as you wish. So if you want to have the baby skin to skin, you can. So basically what happens is when you're having a section, you are on, you've got machines on you. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we there's like a sheet mm -hmm. in front of you obviously so you don't see everything going on mm -hmm. <laughs> a bit messy down there um we literally put the baby on your chest sometimes women don't feel very well because of the antibiotics and stuff like that so we straight away go to dad skin to skin take your shirt off get baby skin to skin why is the woman on antibiotics sorry not antibiotics what did i say oh the anesthetic anesthetic sorry if the woman's on anesthetic she may not be feeling well enough to have skin to skin which has happened to a couple of women that i've looked after before mm -hmm. so in that case i would say to the partner do you want to facilitate yeah. skin to skin with the baby until mum's ready to facilitate that with the baby because any skin to skin with mum dad birthing partner is beneficial for that baby what is the science behind that um it regulates their temperature okay regulates their metabolism it makes them feel comfort and feel safety it encourages feeding if you're well breast or bottle because even if you're bottle feeding you can still be skin to skin mm -hmm. we just like to encourage skin to skin because there's so many benefits from it that that baby ha would would get from skin to skin mm -hmm. bonding um that baby just having that close, loving relationship. Yeah. And when you think, you know, that they were literally inside you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, what, you're meant to let them run around? Yeah. It's, a <laughs> it's alien to them. They don't, they've not been on their own. It's scary for them. Mm. And that's why, um, just going off on a bit of a tangent about being responsive to the baby. Mm. Hang on, hold that tangent because I want to talk about that. I just want to go back quickly. Go you said about cord clamping. Yes. Um, Remind me, what are the benefits of doing the delayed cord clamping? Um, it just to get all of the nutrients from the placenta to the baby, because obviously then once it stopped working, you, you can't, it's just gone. There's okay. a lot of benefits that come from the placenta to okay. the baby, just to get all of that blood into the baby. Although there is some evidence to suggest that 
I say there's some evidence, but I've heard on the grapevine mm-hmm. that um, delayed cord clamping can also encourage jaundice. Because there's a lot of red blood cells, which is what creates jaundice. Because basically babies are born with too many red blood cells anyway. Oh. So that creates... Why are they born with too many red blood cells? They just are. Okay. I don't and know. what is it in the red blood cells that um, is it's, bad? It's something called bilirubin. So, and it comes, basically, all they, they can only get rid of red blood cells by weeing and pooing. And then feeding, weeing and pooing, and they literally excrete it out. Okay. And um, jaundice comes through the skin and comes out in the skin yellow. I don't know if you've seen that yeah, jaundice yeah. before. Um, and it's the bilirubin coming out of the red blood cells, comes to the surface to come out. And that's why some babies are yellow. Um, and it's the jaundice. Because, but it's because they're not feeding enough and not excreting enough. Yeah. So some babies don't have it at all. Some babies... No, Isla didn't have it, which is why I'm not really well versed yeah, in it. Yeah. So jaundice is... Yeah. So it's basically where the babies are born with too many red blood cells. Um, and they need to break those cells down. The only way they can do that is by feeding and flushing them out. Okay. By weeing and pooing. It is normal for babies to become jaundice within the first sort of 24 hours. Um, some babies are born with jaundice, which is a little bit more severe, should we say. But it is very normal for especially breastfed babies to become jaundice after the first 24 hours just because the volume of milk is different yeah so breast milk hasn't isn't the same volume as bottled milk if that makes sense so it's not as heavy on the stomach yeah sort of thing so it's not they're not taking in as much because breast milk is tailored to them so they don't need as much of it Mm -hmm. um so it's harder for them to flush it out because they're not taking as much if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but with a bottle obviously you can see Mm -hmm. what they're taking as well Mm -hmm. so they're more likely to Put on a bit more weight, which is a good thing in a lot of cases. Um, we like babies to be putting on weight after mm-hmm. they've been born, and it helps flush out any blood cells. But feeding, weeing, and pooing that is why midwives just love talking about wee and poo mm. in the first few days. And like, how many na- wet and dirty nappies have mm. they have? Because we like to make sure that they're firstly everything's working, and secondly, if they have got jaundice, that they're flushing it out. Mm-hmm. We're talking about delay cord clamping. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So the benefits are just so that all the nutrients can get to the baby. Oh, basically. lovely. <laughs> um, and remind me, the placenta, you birth the placenta. How long does it take? Without, because there's an injection that you can have. Mm-hmm. What's that called? Sintometrin. I mean, it could be called other things in different trusts. So okay, I'm interesting. Just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have the injection, how long does it take? We allow an hour. Fuck that. Yeah, that is my- <laughs> How many? <laughs> that is what we say. They're like, give me the injection, yeah. even if they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be completely yeah. pathological. Oh, fuck <laughs> off. No, that's exactly what I was like. My body knows. Just like the, I will, moon. Just like the moon. I will excrete it by myself. <laughs> and then literally, as soon as I gave birth to Isla, and I was like, right, you know, it could be another however long. I was like, no, fucking also, stab me. you're looking at um, a lot of things to know whether... The injection should be given. Bleeding is one of them. Oh, interesting. So you knowing that I've got a hemorrhage. Yeah. Oh, of course, because they need to tend to my hemorrhage. Yes. So they need to get their placenta out. And it stops the... So you put the injection in, gets the placenta out quicker, which then contracts it down quick, like gets Uh, everything sort of... Yeah, yeah. Back to normal. Well, yeah. And it just... If you were just left to bleed out, yeah, yeah, yeah. we want that placenta out and stop you bleeding. Oh yes, of course. Because okay. obviously, when the placenta comes, you do lose a bit. Obviously, you lose more yeah. blood because it's coming away from the walls. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we're getting out quickly to then deal with the other issues. Hemorrhages are popular. <laughs> popular. <laughs> yeah, they sound like a it's good a trend. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, common. <laughs> 
popular. Um, no, I get what you I'm mean. I'm part of the core group. <laughs> I, I had a hemorrhage. <laughs> How big was your hemorrhage? Mine um, was this. Um, no, they they can be quite common. Um, yeah. um, where were we? Oh, part of the core group. <laughs> Um, hemorrhage is popular though, no? Common, I'd say. Oh, fuck, <laughs> that's what I meant. I t- guys, I just took a wee break. <laughs> and so I kind of got back in and in my head I was like, common, common. Hemorrhage is popular. Um, I'd, say, I'd say they are, I've only seen three. Oh, so I'm unique, special. <laughs> I'm special. And two of them have been in theatre. So actually, yeah. maybe again, it's difficult. You just don't, you don't yeah. know. This is the thing that scares me the most. And I know that I've spoken to you about it before. I'd love to have a home birth, but my hemorrhage could have been so much more severe if I hadn't been in hospital. And I'm also the one, I'm in the type of person, mind over matter, but I'm sorry. I can't mind over matter, my body bleeding out. <laughs> breathe, yeah. the, breathe, breathe, stop. breathe the blood back into me. <laughs> Scoop it up. <laughs> that noise. <laughs> oh my goodness. But do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 100%. There wasn't really a question. Give me your words of wisdom. I'm like, you know, women who are would really love to have a, I don't like calling it a natural birth because they're all natural, a vaginal birth at home. Shit happens. Mother nature's cruel. Like, how do you get past that? What if something does happen? So are you more likely to hemorrhage again if you've hemorrhaged before? If you've had complications in a first birth, are those same complications more likely to happen in the second birth? I would say that the, if we'll take hemorrhage for a good example if that's okay with you your body is your body and if your body's done something before the chances of it happening again is fairly high Mm, because it's like it's built those neural pathways it's it's your body it's how your body reacts to something right Mm. so doesn't mean to say that it will Mm -hmm. but it's something to be mindful of um as midwives we say we you know we always always talk about previous birth experiences obviously the first time mums you don't do that Mm -hmm. which is why a lot of first time mums do choose to be in hospital because they're like I don't know I don't Mm. know what 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 this is like for me as a person Mm. um I don't know what what birthing a baby will be like so they're unsure however you know that lady that I birthed at home the other day she had a really traumatic birth ended up with forceps in theater lost quite a lot of blood baby ended up in NICU this time, she delivered at home in her bathtub. Baby yeah. was fine. She didn't bleed that an exceptional amount. Yeah, yeah. She didn't hemorrhage. She was okay. So it really, it, it wouldn't stop you from having a home birth. It wouldn't, they wouldn't be like, no, you're not having that. Yeah. Because of your hemorrhage previously. Yeah. It would just be something that you have to consider. So like we would bring drugs to stop the bleeding. Whilst you took me to hospital. Would you have to take me to hospital if I hemorrhaged at home? Well, there's a drug that we can give you mm. to stop, try and stop the bleeding. Mm. If that doesn't work, mm. which who knows, could, mm-hmm. sh- it should work. If it doesn't, sometimes mm. that happens. We would then take you to hospital. Is it an injection, the drug? Yeah, I think they gave it to me. Yeah. So it, it just stops the bleeding, essentially. Yeah. But, you know, it's happened. Women have bled at home. It happens. Mm. Let's be honest. When you give birth, you're going to bleed. Yeah. So, okay, so you could bring the, the medication with you. Yeah, so we literally bring an entire bag of drugs with us. Like, it's like a suitcase. <laughs> I'll take it all. <laughs> it is literally a whole suitcase mm. of drugs. And the other day, we were on the top floor. I was carrying this massive oh bag gosh. of drugs upstairs yeah. with me. But 
Um, luckily she didn't need anything, but if she were, we're ready, we're prepared, we've got the drugs, we've got everything ready for her, so that even if, you know, we do it, I'll, you know, get the drugs out, inject her, treat her for it, and it's not working, while we're calling an ambulance, we're doing something about it, so it's it's prepared for. Hemorrhages are <laughs> popular, if you like, <laughs> so we are um, preparing for that. What is your medical opinion on vaginal births after c-section because i know that there's a lot of fear i know there's fear but if i'm perfectly honest i don't really know why okay i'm not i'm not suggesting that there shouldn't be fear i just i don't know what could go wrong yeah so we call those um vbat mm -hmm. um vaginal birth after the cesarean section mm -hmm. the risks there are one in 200 chance of a uterine rupture, okay? So obviously, because your uterus has been cut before, mm -hmm. there's a one in 200 chance that your uterus could rupture. Due to the contractions and Absolutely. the pushing and due the, to the pressure. Due to the contractions, exactly. Yes. And due to the pushing, because obviously it's a scar, it's a, it's a mm -hmm. wound, if you like. Mm -hmm. So if you have had a baby, say, for example, by a cesarean section 10 months ago, but you're now eight months pregnant, the recommendation would be to have another cesarean section because it hasn't been that long. However, I wouldn't know if doctors, obviously, it's not really, because cesarean sections are out of maternity leg care. It's not anything that's not vaginal birth. <laughs> it's out the window for us. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be, it should be. But um, we are getting a lot more involved in high-risk care now as midwives to be able to advocate for women in those situations. Are you present during a C-section? Yes, we are. But um, more as a sort of like doula, I guess. So in a section, we will go into section. We will catch the baby in, yeah. quote unquote. Um, so we will be past the baby straight away. So okay. we are literally there in scrubs, all sterile. Mm -hmm. But we don't do any of the procedure. Yeah, okay. um, we're just there as support mainly for the mum mm -hmm. to explain to them what they're doing, what's going on, to get the baby, take the baby to mum, do the baby check. So like look at the baby and weigh the baby and do mm. all that stuff. Um, but because sections are becoming a lot more popular slash common. <laughs> um, Why is that, do you think, by the way? I personally think it's um, fear and anxiety of birth. Mm. Which is funny because not funny, ha ha. Um, but <laughs> ha ha, not funny, ha ha. <laughs> but it's it's that interesting. Was funny, ha -ha. <laughs> it's interesting because people think that it's the easy way out, and it's not. It's not the easy way out. Cesarean section is major surgery. Yeah, I feel like because it's common, people just think that it's. I don't know. Yeah, just There's, like an everyday thing, but it really is major surgery. There never used to be. So now, recently, I think literally within the past three years, or maybe even less, they've brought in a an option for a section as a maternal choice. So if you say, they say, why are you having a section? Oh, because I want one. That's okay. It never used to be like that. It mm, used to be like an there's a medical only, yeah. reason why we're having a section. Why do you think, and what is your opinion on that? Because part of me thinks, yeah, we should give the mum a choice. But also I think, like, you would never choose to have heart surgery unless you needed it. No, of course. I think... I don't know if that's a good example, but... <laughs> we'll go with it or like but you would never actively you know get your appendix taken out if you didn't need it and that actually is a relatively simple procedure but you would never do you know what I mean yeah. they wouldn't do it I think it's for me so if that woman says you know these are my reasons I wouldn't really ask for a reason to be honest if she wants a section she's obviously got a choice I mean I think for for me women having a choice 
is amazing in their own experience. I think that it is it is a event that can be really you just don't feel like you're in control. A lot of women really struggle with getting in control of their own body. Some people just can't tune into that. And I think in terms of a vaginal birth, you yes. Mean, yeah. So like a lot of women fear that and because of that they they don't want to have children they don't want to deliver they don't want to do it and I think if we can bring more babies into the world by having more sections for women that make that choice I think it's it's good but I also do think that they need to be aware of the risks with it Mm. it's not an easy way out it's not like you know you can't do anything for six weeks if you've got I always say to women if they've got a young young one at home Mm. and they're going I want a section I'd always say okay that's fine and we can facilitate that for you but please do think do think about it because this isn't like your first baby where you just had one baby to look after mm-hmm. you're still going to have that toddler running around wanting to play lego yeah wanting to be picked <laughs> up wanting to have their push chair or you know and no and it's so true and that actually gobsmacks me george has a colleague at work whose wife had a c-section and she hadn't wanted a c-section it you know, just so happened that she needed one. He went back to work after two weeks because that is the government, you know, paternity leave is two weeks, which is absolutely fucking ridiculous. And then this woman is being told by her medical professionals that she should be on bed rest for six weeks how does that match how exactly exactly so I think that it is questions that need to be asked to women to say what support have you got because because it happens we get women young girls coming in single mums on their own two other children what support have you got you know how how do you feel about the recovery um are you going to be able to recover properly you know and really take that rest because it's so important you're having major surgery Mm. like I don't think some women really understand they just go oh I want to have a section and Mm. some women don't consider the recovery from that Mm. although some but some people at the same time do all the research and they're like yep I've got everything planned my partner's taking annual leave as well as paternity you know some women are really clued up and you know I don't want to come across as if I'm like you know women don't know what they're doing because they absolutely do and they make that choice for a reason for their own you know they they should be able to make a choice and that's why I'm kind of half and half for them having a choice but at the same time they don't necessarily need to have surgery they don't need to do that if they can have this baby vaginally I think as a medical professional as a midwife that the outcomes are better because not the outcomes of like the health of the baby and everything like that and help it like but it's I was going to ask you do you mean in terms of the woman's physical and mental recovery I think yeah because I think they don't realize how difficult it is after a section to do anything without a partner mm-hmm. without family living nearby without anything you yeah. know it's really tough and I found it hard and I had a vaginal birth exactly <laughs> with and a that... couple of stitches in my labia <laughs> again not taken away from women no, who no, have no, births but... and yeah. like episiotomies and mm. you know it's it's you need that support especially Mm. if you're having a section if you're opting for one you just need to make sure that you're doing it for if it's for your mental health absolutely but just make sure that you've got things in place when you are recovering from that because it's so important yeah wow interesting I never would have thought actually that it would be more popular especially as I feel like I don't know correct me if I'm wrong maybe it's because I'm in that sort of space in the well-being natural space obviously as a yoga teacher but I feel like we are becoming a bit more aware of our our bodies and our mind-body connection so yeah I find it interesting actually that 
I think women like the fact that it's in control of someone else. Yeah. They don't feel that they can they can control that. Yeah. I think some women... You do women, need to surrender fucking control <laughs> through labour. Yeah. yeah, and some women really struggle, and I can only imagine it's really tough. It is really, so hard. Really Actually, I do remember when my labour started, I panicked. I was like, fuck. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> and right I couldn't get a handle on my breathing. It's only once Hannah arrived, she came to our house before we went to hospital, and I stayed at home for a really long time, five hours maybe. And it's not until she got here that I felt like, okay, because George was going, Maggie, remember your breathing. Fuck off! <laughs> Honestly. And then I said to him, I woke him up in the middle of the night. I think it was about midnight. And I was like, George, I think it's starting. He was like, okay, shall I text Hannah? Text Hannah. Are you fucking kidding me? She's asleep. Call her now. Wake her up. I don't care what you need to do. You fucking text her. Are you having me on? Text her now. Honestly. And then he's like, there, oh, breathe, breathe. Shall I run you a bath? <laughs> yeah, I just, I just want to deck you right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I just... But I was panicking. I was really, my breath was getting away from me. I was I was starting to sweat. I was feeling shaky. I was so overwhelmed. We'd had dinner, obviously, a few hours before, but I threw everything up because the adrenaline, the hormones just surging through your body. And yeah, I was really panicked at yeah. the beginning. And then, you know, I'm lucky enough or practiced enough because it's not just luck. I did work on it. Um, that, yeah, I got a handle on my breathing. and. Yeah, it was sort of, I mean, not just up from there, you know. <laughs> it's fucking hard. <laughs> Fuck me, oh my gosh. Um, but you, Matt, you felt that once you managed to get that I under felt control, in control, you felt, I think that's the main yeah. thing for women. I think they feel, section-wise, yeah, it's yeah, not up to me. They, they deliver my baby yeah. and that's that. Um, the only other time I didn't feel in control, and which leads me on perfectly onto um, medical interventions in terms of, pain medication I remember being in the water I'm actually I really thought and this is probably gonna sound really stupid I didn't like being in the water I really wanted a water birth but I didn't like it because I realized that I still had to hold myself up I remember at points George was like holding my body but I wanted like a pregnant woman a 41 I was 41 plus 2 what do you call it 40 plus 9 <laughs> I'm in with the science <laughs> um so I'm heavy. <laughs> I sunk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought I I'd float. Thread in water. Honestly, the amount of times I would just let go, but I felt so before, weak. Though. No, and I, but I felt so weak. This is it's like six a.m. in the morning. I've been labouring since midnight. Like I'm done. I've vomed my dinner. I've literally been up all night. I haven't slept. I haven't had any pain relief at all until I got to hospital. And actually, so I had gas and air at the beginning. <laughs> at the beginning, I had the gas and air, and it makes you feel really lightheaded. Oh wow! <laughs> I did not like it. I did not. I, I, I had honestly, I had a puff of it. Do you say that a puff, a suck? What do you say? Um, do you say suck it, puff it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I say? Um, go on the gas if you need to. Is okay. what I say. I went on the gas. <laughs> <laughs> I was really lightheaded. But also, like, everything circumstantial. Like I said, I threw up my dinner. I hadn't slept all night. You know, maybe if I... Yeah, I was done already. Little did I know I still had eight hours to go. <laughs> but anyway, um, after a while, though, I was sucking on that thing like you wouldn't believe. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your best friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, in the water... <sighs> 
I felt like I would, I just didn't like that I had to hold myself up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I felt so weak, so exhausted. I took for granted that I wouldn't float. I know, it probably (laughs) sounds really stupid. It doesn't sound stupid because... I just thought I'd float. You say water birth, you're like, well, you float, no? Like, you don't know. And you see videos on Instagram, it looks so serene. They literally exhale their baby out and they're half orgasming. (laughs) That's what I thought I was going to be like. And instead, <laughs> fucking sinking. I'm at the bottom of the pool. I'm at the drowning. bottom of the pool, gasping for breath. Fucking give me the gas. <laughs> it was not sexy. Not what you thought. It was not an Instagram not birth. Let me tell you. Honestly, I've got it on film. That shit is scary. Oh my goodness. No, it's not really. It's beautiful in its own way. <laughs> But it's not what you expected. And no. that's, I think that's probably the same for women, though, like other women, because they probably think, well, who knows? They might think it's a natural yeah, yeah. pool. Yeah. Like, you know, that like they don't, they think they do float. <laughs> now, girls, you don't float. Okay? No, no, yeah, now you know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, I, need, I need like an Olympic sized pool and I need a donut ring. Yes. <gasps> that, yeah. Is that possible? Is that doable? <laughs> Can we hire one out? <laughs> a lot of cleaning um um no but it's interesting because it's funny part of me is like yes you can have i'd like to confirm not an instagram birth like whatever what 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 even is that exactly exactly but that sort of serene feel i do believe that you can have that but also let's bear in mind what we feel like i think or what we see from other births. You haven't seen the run-up. You haven't seen the screaming, <laughs> the yelling, <laughs> the, the dying. <laughs> the actual, the, the abuse to the partner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what was I going to say? Okay, pain medication. Because at one point I was like, oh, Hannah, you've got to give me something. <laughs> and I hate saying this because I know that there is a stigma and there is a, you know, it's a bit of a taboo subject having to have the epidural or choosing to have the epidural, but then admitting, oh yeah, I decided to go for the epidural. But then at the same time, I understand why that stigma is there because admittedly, I'm glad that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your opinion? Words of wisdom? Go. So the epidural is interesting because I've never had a lady say to me, sometimes they write it in their plan, I, you know, no medication. I don't want any pain relief. And, you know, sometimes they, sometimes they, that happens and sometimes they just have gas in there. Other times, you know, they do say, no, I don't want that. I want the epidural. And I haven't actually, maybe this is just, maybe they feel that they don't want to say to me that they feel scared to have the epidural or they feel ashamed to have the epidural. But I've never actually had a lady say to me that. And it's interesting that you say that because that's really sad because yeah. everybody is so different and the epidural i understand it it's it's scary it's a scary procedure from for someone that's not in the field maybe it's it's scary i don't know what what do you think the stigma is behind it do you think um, it's because they I feel think like women, they're not strong enough yeah i think women feel like they failed like they haven't done it by themselves similar to you know i've spoken on the podcast i'm on medications for my mental health mm-hmm. and it took me a long time to accept that it wasn't me failing that mm-hmm. i just needed a bit of extra help but i think it's that same sort of narrative that they're playing in their heads they feel like they've let themselves down and 
and I resonate because I remember I was still in the in my pool sinking at the time <laughs> saying to Hannah I was crying and I was like and George was beside me and I remember I FaceTimed my mum and I was like mum I don't think I can do it anymore like I just I can't do it and it's my mum that said Magli you can do it and then I was like okay okay but I was saying to Hannah I can't I can't do it but at the same time I can't have any medication because I knew that I would beat myself up yeah. and it's so hard because so I really understand women and it's difficult understanding why they feel a certain way because I feel exactly the same but also like you don't have to feel like that no. but it's so easy for me to say when I didn't yeah you know. I mean I think from again as a midwife's point of view I just want that woman to have the best experience with whatever pain relief on board she needs I don't want her to feel, you know, if she's in so, she, you don't have to be, you don't have to be in so much pain. Yeah, no, you're so right. Like, you're not getting a medal for what pain. What are you doing? Like, I just always say this to, to them. I just say, what's the point mm. in you feeling, you know, this is your option, the epidural, blah, blah, blah. This is not going to take away the pressure of you feeling when to push it's just going to take away that pain and you know everybody's pain threshold is different every person is so different the baby's a different size yeah, like, the cervix is a different size the pelvis is a different size the labor's different everyone's yeah. labor's completely different and I you, you know compare. I always say like I just want your experience to be the best experience and if that means that you're you, you're having an epidural but you can remember your your birth and you're not so in pain that you hated every second second of it then that is what we'll do and that's what you want to do I never feel I never ever want any of my women to feel like they've failed because they're having pain relief it's there for a reason I literally I can't believe I have never thought of it like that and it's mind-blowing to me that I haven't like why are you in pain if you have the don't option be, you don't need to be well it's, pain, it's a painful experience yes but yes. if you have if you you know have the option to have that which mm. you can have it I mean don't get me wrong if you come in and you're basically pushing a baby out we're not gonna have the time to get the epidural in because it's a process you know we have to get the anesthetist to come and speak to you we have to get consent by the time we've done all that the baby's gonna be here so mm -hmm. it, all that, it does depend generally on what stage you're at whether we can go ahead with it but I will always whatever that woman wants I'll do my absolute utmost to get it for her because it's her experience not mine mm. there's no judgment from me whatever she has I think whatever she's doing she's birthing her baby and whatever way she wants to do that whether that be dosed up to the high heavens mm. or on nothing at all she's still done the same amazing job regardless yeah. whether she's in pain or not correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't know this um you can have different doses and the mum or can have control of the dose how so, does that work so in our trust I think in other trusts you the woman can be in control and literally press a button yeah. however in our trust I'm at Princess Alexandra Hospital in Harlow. Yeah, in Essex, England. Because I'm worldwide. I'm an internet yeah. sensation, Holly. <laughs> Sorry, guys. England, UK. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, so in Harlow, um, we give something called a low dose mixture so we top it up for you mm -hmm. we we still listen to you if you say you can, i think i'm pretty sure it's every half an hour mm -hmm. you can have a top up of it and every time we do that we have to check your blood pressure and things like that but if you're saying oh i need another top up we'll give you another top up if you're is it every hour potentially every hour I think it's every hour, actually, okay. not half an hour. It seems a little bit too close together. You can give a top-up of that. But you ask them, do you want it? Do you not? You don't have to. But I can get it for you now if you want another one. And some, some women go, no, I'm okay. It's just taking the edge off. Like, having an epidural doesn't mean that you're numb forever. Yeah. Like, you can't feel 
anything. You're still feeling your you birth your baby. Yeah, I think there is this pre-misconception that because it is a spinal block. Yeah. And so when women hear that, they I I mean, I don't really know. Or maybe also maybe the epidural itself has changed and evolved from, you know, back in the day and stuff. But I feel like we do have this pre-misconception that you're not going to feel anything. Yeah, I and think people feel like it's just going to come out and you're not going to know about it. And yeah. this is just not the case at all. And, and and I'll be honest with you, before I started doing the course, I thought the same. Yeah, I, I thought, too. oh, they just wouldn't feel a thing. But no, that's not, that's not the case at all. And, you know, can they still have an active birth? And what I mean by that, mobilise. Yes. Yeah. Um, depending on how many doses they've had, um, a lot of women can still get up with some support and go to the toilet, um, which going to the toilet in labour, by the way, is so important, like bladder care and things yeah. like that is so important. So that's why sometimes if they've had a lot of the epidural, epidural like the low-dose mixture, sometimes we can catheterise them. If they feel like they don't want to mobilise or they can't mobilise, we'll catheterise them so that they don't need to get up to go to sleep so that we can take care of that bladder because the bladder sits right there. Sometimes it can block the baby coming out and cause a lot of damage Pain. to the bladder as well. Yeah, I had, um, I spoke to a woman, Chrissy. she's been on the podcast and she had loads of issues because her midwife never thought to check the bladder. It's tough. Yeah. It's so important, it's even especially regardless whether they have epidural or not, you need to take care of that bladder. I actually felt really comfortable on the toilet. A lot of people do. Because I felt oh, like a, almost supported, open. yet not blocked, open. open, you know? And I felt like, I felt more comfortable than being on all fours. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I felt like I could have that sort of leaning forward, you know, with my legs. Because you've got that support quite on yeah. the bottom half. Yeah. Um, we do have little stools, actually. Like, I don't know if you had them in your room. You probably did. Someone probably weren't quite yeah. aware. Yeah. <laughs> um, High off pain. Was, <laughs> there's usually, like, little stools that are, like, not very high at all. Mm -hmm. But they're in the shape of a toilet seat. And women sit on them if they, you know, are not too mobile. And they can just kind of get off the bed and yeah. onto that rather than more if the toilet's too far. Or what is the evidence of a mobilised birth? I would just say that mobilising in birth is one of the most important things that you can do. Firstly, it, it helps with the progression of dilation for a start. If you're up and about moving, gravity. Mm -hmm. If you're sort of sat, if you can imagine, if you're just sort of sat around, Mm -hmm. leaning back leaning even back, you know. but then it, it gobsmacks me that hospitals they're beds I know they're all in beds but most of the births that I have done have either been over the bed yeah like um a woman would be on the bed but had like not on her back yeah I know really mean. recommend women to not be on their backs yeah because they're not comfortable for a start mm -hmm. and again we want them to be comfortable this mm -hmm. is the whole point it shouldn't be this traumatic experience we don't yeah. want it to be traumatic for women yeah. but it's just the gravity as well if you're on all fours you can imagine there's more gravity there yeah. and if you're sitting yeah. that baby's head is just sitting <laughs> what is your advice for women that would like a mobilized birth but I remember it so I went into labor it was like midnight ish I didn't give birth until 1 p.m either for so like 13 hours which to be fair not that long for a first birth anyway but as I said I'd vomed I'd been up all night I was fucking shattered and then I'm meant to be mobile mm -hmm. be fucking kidding mm -hmm. do you have any tips on keeping energy I mean I couldn't stomach anything I genuinely think that the thing that saved my life and I don't know if this is a Hannah thing or it's a hospital thing I 
John Cleese said, yeah. the sports Lucas said. Yeah, that is a thing. Ah, it is a <laughs> we, thing. We yeah. we do recommend just because it kicks in. It it helps. I had loads of what did what are they called in my wee? They kept testing my urine. I had ketones. Ketones. Yeah. That was it yeah. because dehydration yeah i'm not surprised i was yeah so yeah tips for trying to keep that those energy levels up when, when you're exhausted yeah um birthing ball yeah but being on that moving like even if you're not walking like doesn't mean mm-hmm. you have to walk and be on your feet just mm-hmm. mobilizing changing position if you yeah. can just yeah. kind of rocking moving as much I, as you can yeah i guess when you say a mobile birth just mean not sitting exactly not all laying <laughs> not down on, on your bed. back yeah I think it does sound like we're suggesting going for a walk or like <laughs> for a jog <laughs> doing a little bit of yoga like yeah, no yeah. But I mean if you're able to though like yeah amazing go for, go for a walk I mean we do encourage our ladies on the antenatal ward who are early labor you know one centimeter two centimeter three centimeter four mm-hmm. sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to clock on <laughs> I see what you did there um we encourage them to go for walks if they can yeah. if they feel like they can if not we encourage them to go on the birthing ball yeah we encourage them to just stand or just like at least change positions yeah stand and just yeah. ha- be supportive but just stand mm. not for a long period of time obviously because i'm conscious that you are carrying a baby and that's pretty very uncomfortable you're also in early labor like it's still it doesn't mean it's not justified just because you're not four centimeters mm-hmm. you're not in active labor but you're still mm-hmm. laboring you know mm. um so i just i like to encourage women to get up as mm. much as they can sometimes women don't want to and that's fine but to encourage it is all you can do yeah 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 um question can you have the same midwife throughout your pregnancy and labor and birth so again different trusts are different at our hospital there are particular community teams that offer continuity of care I don't know if you've heard of that model before and that is where you are under a team and they um they'll see you throughout nine times out of ten you will see the same woman in that team if Mm -hmm. not you will just be seen by that team Mm -hmm. and then that team and that person within that team will be called for your birth now what if that person has literally been on shift for 12 hours and you go into labor at the end of her shift like legally is that person allowed to stay no Mm. i don't think so just because of safety to be honest which Um, is which is fair enough but but then the team so that is why now i mean continuity of care was is a fantastic model if there are enough midwives to do it now are there not not across like Essex it's too big there's too many women having babies Mm -hmm. and there's not enough midwives to facilitate one-to-one care throughout Mm -hmm. that's why they've tried to incorporate into teams so say for example my team is called Willow team and there's like five six midwives we are not a continuity of care team because there aren't enough midwives for the area that we cover Mm -hmm. but if a particular woman who lives locally says I'd like to keep seeing you. They will try to keep them okay. their appointments in the same, seeing the same person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they say, you know, if you want me to come to your birth, you just need to call me. So it, it can happen. Just where we've had a shortage of staff and midwives, yeah. it's just not been, it's such a shame because it's a fantastic model. Yeah. Um, but midwives have been burnt out from it from having say 35 women deliver in the same month mm. and it's like if there's three la- ladies laboring at the same time mm-hmm. you can't just be there no. for one of them so the problem is it's the lack of midwives that we've got but they make it so difficult to become a midwife in the first place so, is it difficult to become a midwife what's so hard 
So there's a number of things. Firstly, you do it for free, your training. You're not paid. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. like, a lot of people can't do that. A yeah. lot of people, you know, you're work, you work full time. You work 37 and a half hours a week for free. You don't. And mid, a lot of midwives only work 30. So you're doing that. A lot of people can't afford to do that, mm. you know. You can imagine. Three years. Three years for yeah. free. The, can you get a student loan? So you get student loans. Obviously, you've got to pay that back. Yeah, I guess. Um, and they do offer you a grant, which is five grand. But yeah. when you've got, like, like myself, I've got a mortgage, you know, yeah. like it just doesn't really scrape the sides of what it actually costs to live. <laughs> Can you get a second student loan? Because you went to university, you'd already been to university. Yeah. Did you manage to get a second student loan? I did, yeah. So I oh, um, obviously had done a degree before I'm musical theatre. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons that I was so, re- not reluctant, but unsure whether I could be a midwife because mm-hmm. I didn't know whether I'd be able to get the funding. But mm-hmm. because it's for the NHS... You're, f- you're fine as long as you pay for it. Mm-hmm. So you've they'll give you the money, but you've got to give it back. To, okay. You've got to pay it back. Yeah. The course, obviously, is incredibly full on. It's a massive commitment. Yeah. Like, it's tough. It's really tough when you've got to work full-time, doing a full-time yeah. degree with a site. It's, it's tough. It's yeah. not easy. I'm not going to lie, though. As, you know, someone who obviously has made use of the care of the NHS and probably will in the future again, I'm glad it's hard. <laughs> But do you know what it I has mean? To be. Yeah, yeah. It does have to <laughs> Not be. Not gonna hard. lie. Yeah. No, I think there's things they could change to make it easier. Yeah. Financially, for example. Because yeah, that yeah, is yeah. it doesn't make it any easier. Mm-hmm. But it's tough mm. it's not any you know it, like rightly so it shouldn't yeah. be easy yeah. you've got so much responsibility yeah. um but there are things that they want you to do as a student that you're never going to do as a midwife mm. do you um specialize because there's different midwives mm. no there's like low risk high risk yeah that's so- all i know <laughs> So safeguarding midwives, diabetic midwives. Okay. Um, Do you know what you would like to go into? I've got a lot of like little pockets that I'm interested in. I really like sonography. So I like sc- in the scanning department, oh, yeah. so like fetal medicine. Oh my gosh, the sonographers are midwife trained. Some of them are midwives and they're trained to be a sonographer. Okay. So they don't just do um, women. They do like, they could be in another area of the hospital doing kidneys and oh blah, blah, blah. i understand but okay. if you're a midwife you can obviously train to become okay. a sonographer which is interesting probably incredibly difficult because you can imagine like how they know what they're looking yeah, at it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy i'm like looks okay. like nothing they're like <laughs> oh can you see your baby sorry what? can you see the bladder yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i can't um so that's really interesting safeguarding mass i'm really interested in that like mental health safeguarding like looking after women who are vulnerable in pregnancy you know things like that um i love community i like to what does that involve? So that's all your antenatal appointments mm-hmm. and your postnatal appointments. Mm-hmm. Because I just think it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. So you get to see your women antenatally. Yeah. You could go in for their birth and you could see them post you will yeah. see them postnatally. I just like to have that relationship yeah, with women. Yeah, yeah. To see them see them at booking, see them throughout their pregnancy, hopefully be able to go in for their birth, to then see them at home with their baby. Yeah. I just really love that. So you would if you were in community, you would still get called for like birth shifts. Yeah, so you hospital get what shifts. they call them is um, present shifts, we call them. So like present shifts in the hospital. Okay. So as a band five, so I will qualify as a band five midwife. So it goes up in band. So I think mm-hmm. there's like two, three, four, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine. Gosh, this is like a promo, guys. The NHS needs midwives. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> please God, <laughs> help us out. Um, yeah, so as a band five, when I qualify, I will do something called a rotation throughout the hospital to keep my skills, learn how to be by myself, mm-hmm. which is absolutely terrifying. And then after I think it's about one rotation of the full hospital, so antenatal, postnatal, labour ward, birthing unit and triage I think mm-hmm. I can then go and community sort of choose where I want to be if I'm in community you don't have to but you're recommended to go into the hospital twice a month just to keep your skills up obviously because you're it still working seem like a twice. lot well because you're still working full-time in community yeah, yeah. and like people who are core midwives which is what we call the midwives that solely work in the hospital so that is your you're doing less shifts but longer shifts if yeah. that makes sense so yeah you work your way up and if you're a band five you have to be in, in the hospital a little bit more because mm-hmm. to do your band six you have to get things signed off that you can mm-hmm. do competently and then when you get your band six you could be in charge of a ward um okay holly we had we made notes guys before um before we came on <laughs> and we had loads of like postnatal and postpartum stuff that we wanted to talk about so should we do that in another episode yeah yeah let's will you come back <laughs> about it no <laughs> of course i will um any last words of wisdom or thought or anything that you would like to say to women who are maybe coming up to their labor and coming up to their birth because it's a uh, it's a big thing yeah i would just say that you know your body you go with you just got to go with it basically you're in control and don't feel like you should do it any particular way that the society says to do it you just do what you want you need to have the birth that suits you and every birth is different so if you want that epidural you have it i want that experience for women to be the best because it's an honor to have a baby not every woman gets that opportunity so i want it to be the best experience that you've ever had so don't feel like any particular way if you have a particular plan and it doesn't go to plan just be happy with your choices mm. and you got this you got this um <laughs> what is your opinion on i feel like there's a fine line between educating yourself on risks and complications but also i just remember in hypnobirthing they advise that you don't hear any sort of negative birth stories but at the same time i feel like i want to be well versed you know if this happens to me what are my options without having to in the moment ask the midwife ask the doctor whatever it may be what's your opinion on that what so how to be how to clue be clued up on it or, or just the balance between educating yourself but also not diving so deep into all of the risks and complications and traumatic stories that you might hear from so and so Mm. that you start to get yourself overwhelmed firstly try not to google things Mm. try and speak to a medical professional because they are medical professional google's great a lot of things (laughs) recipes great unbelievable (laughs) (laughs) however you know when it comes to it that it can send you down a bit of a garden path into Mm. feeling like you are diagnosed with something that you're not um and again just being open to the fact that everyone's birth's different if you've got a friend who's pregnant at the moment and they're really struggling with high blood pressure or they're really struggling with sickness or they're just going through something completely different to you they're having something really positive in their birth and you're not there yet it doesn't matter you Mm. are going you're having the same experience really you're all having a baby it's all the same i would just really try not to compare yourself because it's so hard it's so tough because that's all you see all you see on social media for pregnant women what what do you do when you get pregnant you go on social media Mm -hmm. and you look at people's pages Mm no and you see these women and they're like 
flourishing in mm. this pregnancy and some people have amazing pregnancies some people don't so whatever you're feeling is whether that be good or bad it's what's for you mm. and it's so hard to not but the biggest advice that I could give and the best advice I could give is to just not compare yourself to mm. other pregnant women because you are different you are individual you're unique oh I love that okay um guys seeing as we're gonna have Holly back to talk about like more of the immediate postpartum stuff so we have like breastfeeding formula co-sleeping emotional safety we touched on skin to skin but I think we'll probably touch back onto that um and other bits so if you have any questions on those or any questions on what we spoke about today seeing as we'll have you back we can always answer any questions let us know you can find me on instagram at mumming with magli um yeah holly thank you so much oh, for joining us thanks for having me it's been large good um we'll see you very soon guys i'm sending you lots of love ciao bye guys <laughs>